Welcome to Naked and Raw. Hey everybody, this is Stormy. And this is the Jungle King. This is Naked and Raw, where we take your favorite songs and we break them down to the most naked and raw tracks. We'll dissect and explore some of the best music out there. So join us now as we find the hidden treasures between the tracks on Naked and Raw. Hi everybody, welcome back to Naked and Raw. I am the Jungle King. And I'm Stormy. Tonight, we have another great show. I know I keep saying it, but how do we keep topping ourselves? I mean, how, <laughs> how do you beat Bohemian Rhapsody? How do you That's beat, right. you know, Tom Sawyer? Here's how you beat it. You bring in the Beatles. Come on, nobody's better than the Beatles. In fact, right. who was it that named this number one album of all time? Rolling Stone. The one and only Rolling Stone magazine. So, if they say it's number one, it's got to be number, number one. one. So, tonight, we are going to be uh, dissecting Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, along with, along with a with. little help from my friends, because... You can't do the one without the other. They go together, right? Right. Ah, I'm so excited. Okay, first of all, it's really hard to find multi-tracks of the Beatles. It used to be virtually impossible. It's a little easier now, but we got them. We got them. Um, But there's some things you need to understand about how the Beatles recorded. You can't break it down into individual tracks. Like when they remaster, they got to... They have to backwards engineer the way they recorded in order to get those individual tracks because... They only had four tracks available. And when you listen to Sgt. Pepper and you listen to the complexity, you listen to the the orchestrations and the vocals and and all the instruments, it's hard to believe they did it all with just four tracks. Especially these days when you can have how many tracks? Unlimited. Uh, Yeah, Unlimited. You put on Pro Tools and you can have as many tracks as you want. So, I mean, as many as your computer memory can handle. So this is a little bit different. This is... um, this is, uh, you know, four tracks. So what they had to do was layer things up and then mix as you go. So nowadays what we do is we record everything individually, um, track by track, bring them in, record them, send them home. Bring them in, record them, send them home. And then at the end, you add it all together. Take all your tracks, you move them around, you edit them, and then you blend them. And that's your final mix, or at least your rough mix. But back then, what they had to do is they had to commit so they, they would fill up all four tracks. They would have two machines. They would have two four tracks side by side. They would fill up all four tracks with maybe just overheads on the drums and some bass. And then they would take those four tracks and they'd mix them down to one track on the next machine. And then they'd fill up the other three available tracks on that next machine. And then they'd take those four tracks and mix them back onto the first machine on a separate tape. And you can only do this balance maybe two or three times before you started getting a lot of degradation in the quality. So it was essential that they had a very clear idea of how they were going to tackle the song ahead of time because you had to mix as you go. So those once those drums were mixed down onto the second four-track machine, you couldn't go back and undo it. You had to layer upon that. So you had to have a very clear idea how to do it and a really good ear for a mix because you don't know what the whole end product's going to sound like. There's no way to change it at that point. You just have to layer it and go. So that was the genius of George Martin. He was their producer. He knew how to record. He knew lots of great techniques, but he also was a musician and he was a collaborator. So he would take their songs and he would embellish them with orchestration. So uh, this album was really special for the Beatles because um, they decided to stop touring. Uh, they'd been touring for Just a number the year of years. Before, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just the year before they quit. And the reason they quit is because they couldn't hear themselves anymore. 
the 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 stereo or the concert equipment back then wasn't what it is now. They didn't have line array speakers. They didn't have monitors. They didn't get in ears. No, so they, they couldn't hear themselves. All they could hear was yeah. screaming, and Ugh. and it got to be pointless. They all oh, it was deafening. They couldn't hear themselves, so their performances weren't good, and they just they got bored and they got tired of the screaming and the life on the road with people you know in their face twenty four seven. It, it, you can imagine, you know, I mean, these, these guys had worked in the small clubs for years and years. They were a really great band. And now all of a sudden they're thrust in the spotlight and they can't get any rest for four or five years. It they're just awesome. solid touring. So they quit. That's it. We're done. No more touring. It's over. And this time they decided they were going to spend all their time and put all their energy into the studio. So they went in with a concept and the concept was Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts now, Club Band. Now, it was mostly... McCartney's concept, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think it, I think it yeah. Was. I think yeah. he was the driving force behind it. But there's a lot of the songs on here were definite uh, Lennon influenced, and a lot of collaboration between them. And they all kind of played the part. You know, they decided, okay, we won't be the Beatles. We'll be Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band for this album. And and they put this concept album together. The songs grew up like they're more mature. There's more complexity to them. There's more. Um, and I mean, experiment. Yeah, a lot of experimental. I mean, this is you know at a time when when you know psychedelic drugs were getting into the into play, mind expansion, and and it showed. It came out in their music, and uh, so let's go ahead. Let's start listening to it, and then we'll pick it apart. So we're going to start from the very beginning, um, and and it opens up with the orchestra warming up or tuning up, and some crowd sounds. These are imported effects. The count you don't hear normally. So, like many of the other bands, it's a four-piece group. But all of a sudden, you got horns. Let's isolate them with some crowd noises. So it's a French horn and a trumpet. Listen to these harmonies. Somebody's snapping in the studio. Ooh, bad harmony right there. <laughs> Here's some guitar. And some bass. Listen to this bass. So clean. He just played with the pick. And then listen to his voice. I'm going to stop it right there, and I want to go back and I want to listen to a little bit of the guitar work because... I love the guitar. It's really good. Um, so we're going to isolate. This is George Harrison's guitar work um, coming out of that... My favorite Beatle. Second chorus. Is he your favorite? Yes. Why is he your favorite? 
Well, um, we practice the same religion for uh, one thing, okay. and I love the sitar, and he took it up for a little while and decided that he needed to start about 15 years earlier. He was like, going to do I feel that. like George like, combined religions, because you, you listen to him speak, and he, mm-hmm. you, know, you can tell he obviously did a lot of uh, Eastern um, study. He, he got yeah. really deep. Um, who was the yogi that he it got in with? with? A, um, it was with a Hare Krishna. Maharashi Maharesh or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that guy. Uh, they spent they spent time over there, and, and I think George was the one that really took to it. The other guy's kind of, yeah, this is great and groovy, and then George, like, kept it up. Oh, yeah, he kept it um, up. That's what My Sweet Love is and yeah. all that. It's from the ISKCON um, uh, group. But there was a it's, definite it's, uh, there's a definite Christian thing in, in his style, too. We're getting off on a oh, tangent. Oh, but uh, it's part of it, the ISKCON. Is it? Yeah, it's it great. is. It okay, is the Hare Krishnas. Let's listen to his uh, guitar. You can hear John in the background plugging away. That bendy guitar style of his. Wow. It's so sloppy sounding when you listen to it like this. Throw the bass in for fun. And Ringo, we can't forget about Ringo. Play it, Ringo. Straight four on the kicks. Eight. Da, 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 da. Alright, let's go ahead and we'll head into let's go ahead into uh, with a little help. Let's go just just Ringo with the piano. There's a piano on this. Do you know that? It's this rinky-dinky, out-of-tune saloon piano. Sounds like an old upright that was probably sitting in the corner. Yeah, it's... They didn't even bother to tune it. <laughs> That's some tambourine. Well, there's an anima- element of vaudeville in here. There is. You're right. And that's what you get to do when you're recording. Oh, Ringo's Phil. All right. Let's listen to uh, the vocals. I'm sorry, you were about to say that's what you do when you record? Well, it's what you, you get to experiment. You get to have more instruments than, than you might be able True. to take on when you're touring. And... Okay, now listen to this harmony right here. This is the only time you hear all, all four guys singing. So good. I like it. And then the guitar just carries this straight forward through this whole thing. It's just very basic. And I love the way the bass dances around it. It has a playful aspect. Very playful. I, I love the way Paul McCartney's bass really feels like the way Paul McCartney sings to me. The way he phrases things. It's bouncy and happy. Oh, did you hear that? What was that? That was a muff on the guitar. He messed up the chords right there. Okay, back it oh, up. We got here. Back again. it up. 
I never noticed that because the piano covers it up in the mix right here. Oh, oh, oh. He botched it right there. Okay, one more time with everybody. Come on. That's too good. Here. Right there. I never noticed that. My idols made mistakes too. I love it. Ringo again on drums. Brilliant. And there you have it. I think I don't know if this is the first albums. time, but it certainly was one of the first times when a band would spend a whole year in the studio to develop, and these songs just grew kind of organically, and um, and the the result was such an amazing layered uh, effect that nobody had ever heard it before. So of course it had a huge impact with other musicians. There was a new standard, you know, laid out because of the Beatles and because Sergeant of Peppers. Sergeant Peppers. So not only was uh, an, an influential album as far as um, you know experimenting and trying new things, but they actually came up with new techniques in the studio that ended up becoming standards sure, in the like studio. Double vibricated splashing flange. <laughs> How about that? Splashing well, flange. That's not really what it's called. But what's the story behind that? Uh, Martin liked to joke with Lennon about things, and he he told him that uh, Lennon, your voice was treated with a double vibrocated splashing flange. <laughs> it doubles your voice, John. See now that's the the, <laughs> the reason they uh, they used to have to double the voices. That was the thing. You always recorded the voice twice, so you would sing it one time all the way through, and then you would try to match it identically and sing it again, and they could layer it up, and it would just make it have a fuller sound and then anytime your voice had a little crack or break in it the other version would kind of fill that in so they it, it gave it a, a fuller sound um so it was a real common thing to do but but George Martin had come up with this flanging technique flanging is where you can um it's hard to explain you you, you pull the signal out of phase with itself and you get a doubling effect um it sounds something like this. Hi, this is me talking on a flanger right now or through a flanger with a flanger effect. It's kind of a doubling sound. It's it's a very cool, almost psychedelic effect, and, and John fell in love with it, and he ended up using it. He wouldn't record without it, and it, and it was primarily because he was lazy. He just didn't want to work that hard to record a double-track vocal, so, so they used the flanging technique instead. Um, but he kept it even into his solo clip career, even on double fantasy, you can hear songs where he has that, uh, that effect on his voice. So, uh, it was a cool effect, you know, it worked and it was used for plenty of albums after that with other artists too. So thanks George Martin and your brilliant mind. Your made up word that became <laughs> something real. Sploshing, flanging, whatever. <laughs> Vibrocated. Vibrocated, <laughs> splashing flanger. Uh, yeah. the, the Beatles have so much amazing material. I know we're going to come back and visit them again. We're gonna we're gonna go into different eras of the Beatles. I know we're gonna spend some more time on this because there's just it, it's hard to believe that four guys can sound that good, and they did so. And and, and such 
you know, amazing songwriters. The amount of work that came out of those four guys in a very short amount of time is is remarkable. So we'll definitely be paying a visit back with the Beatles. But we did it. We just got through Sgt. Pepper's. You got to hear a little bit of the inside, uh, what it sounds like when you break it down. And that's what we do right here on Naked Raw. So we hope you'll join us again next time on Naked and Raw.